0: Hi all welcome to Anime Echoes, so this is the last part for um, Baccano Volume 8, um, so let's just get into it. So we start off with um, like a small interaction between Felix, Claire and Spike. Spike is thinking that Claire has like a few screws loose, kind of crazy, and Claire slowly remembers who Spike is. He's impressed that Spike survived, um, though I don't think he's actually impressed, um, though I was also surprised that Spike survived, so we have that in common. Now we jump back, uh, sorry, over to Victor's team, and after the explosion from the homeless-looking person that Huey sent, Victor is catching his bearings, and more importantly, making sure to see if his team's okay. We get a funny moment where his subordinates are actually kind of touched by the fact that Victor showed that he cared about them, though Victor's relief doesn't last particularly long. He peers out the window, and the homeless-looking dude, who blew up, was covered in blood, his arm was twisted, his head was twisted, and he's outside the building for everyone to see. So because of this, those who saw it were now moving towards him. Now, this will obviously create a crowd. Like, people will move towards this guy and be like, what the hell is going on? And this will create a story. And this is a smart way to tie down Victor. Like, there will be a crowd right in front of this building that he's in. Obviously, Huey never expected, like, the blast to incapacitate Victor but he knows that random citizens looking at a mangled dead body will. It's a smart play by Huey, and understandably, Victor's upset. Now, the next scene is very, very interesting. So Jacuzzi's freaking out, because he just heard that 300 explosions just went off, like he heard that over the radio. Now, everyone's trying to just calm him down at Millionaire's Row. A doorbell kind of interrupts this cry fest, and Jacuzzi goes to open the door. Surprisingly, it's Tim jacuzzi is very happy to see that Tim was okay and the same to Adele I honestly also felt this was kind of surprising I didn't think that um that Tim and jacuzzi had developed like much of a bond in the last novel and there's even a comment saying that jacuzzi had just forgot the trouble Tim had caused him um so it kind of makes sense I guess for me to be like wait they they formed a bond throughout all of that um he also immediately kind of forgives Adele and thinks nothing of it. I think this makes a lot of sense given Jacuzzi's character. He is very forgiving. But I still thought he would maybe be like a little afraid of them. Like not so like forthcoming of like, Oh Tim, oh Adele, you're here kind of thing. Like maybe like, Oh Tim, Adele, you're here. Like that kind of vibe. So Jacuzzi is not afraid of Tim or Adele. He is however afraid of what they have to say. So Tim mentions that Jacuzzi's gang could be like a good hostage for them. Like it would be a good way to deal with Graham. Uh, they can't seem to beat the guy. Um, Graham is just that much of like an unstoppable force. That being said, Tim explains that he won't be doing that to them, and that Lisa has found another hostage, a better one. At this point in the story, I, don't, like, I honestly couldn't figure out who the other hostage was, but in retrospect, it makes a ton of sense. Tim mentions that Jacuzzi should do his best to not get dragged into the mess that's happening right now, that the twins are always right there. It's better to assume that. Then interestingly, Tim says that if a twin is here, the guy may not actually be a traitor. And you'll definitely have information, like an information leak on your hands. That the, um, the twins, Sham and Hilton, are like that. So there might be a twin in Jacuzzi's group. I think that's what Tim is saying. Also, it's further iterated that um, the twins are peculiar beings. One name controls a thousand faces, and the reverse is also true. So this makes it sound like the twins are a large like hive mind, a huge spanning like hive mind that's connected to like many people and then all the thoughts are like connected and collated. It's um, further stated that it's not about whether the twins are strong or weak. Even Felix, even if we killed them, we probably couldn't actually kill them. So all of these are interesting lines but honestly I don't really know how any of this works. Like I'm pretty kind of certain on like the hive mind idea that it's probably like a bunch of minds kind of connected or something like that but for the most part they just like name dropped felix i don't really know what's going on to be honest um so yeah keen to see what happens next in the next scene we jump back to Firo. he's kind of just like watching the days go by after his conversation with huey he's getting sick of being in prison and he's developed a like a deep sympathy for those who have stayed in for longer like it truly felt like hell for him Though there is one thing on his mind that's like bothering him. Dragon, that Asian man, was one day just up and about and then he bit into the ear of someone. He ripped it off clean. And Dragon explains to Firo in this incident that the guy was like the person he bit um, was shit talking his Asian crew. But then he says, well, anybody would have worked. I initially thought this meant like anybody would work because I'm willing to taste the blood of anyone. Like I'm after any flesh. I don't really discriminate. But on further thought, that line was super suspicious. Like, it feels like Dragon has, like, some sort of plan or goal. Also, the other two members who arrived with Dragon were also in the dungeon. It's really suspicious that all three of the inmates that arrived with Firo are all in the dungeon. I remember thinking how, like, suspicious this all was. And then Firo was also getting, like, called into the dungeon with the same knife scheme. Like, just things were kind of happening. And it was like, we jump over to Lad in the dungeon... He's just clanging away with his chains, most people would be going crazy in the dungeon, but not Lad. It hasn't like weakened him a bit. Now someone appears to him and asks if he's Lad Russo. Lad puts together pretty quickly that this is the Tinkerbell that Isaac was talking about. The Tinkerbell speaks, saying that he's got a good friend named Graham Specter, right? So you would be the perfect hostage, so that they could actually kill this Graham guy. It's also said that the Tinkerbell has um black hair and golden eyes. So, it was pretty obvious that it's Lisa. So, Lisa is going to take hostage of Lad. And I know Lad's chained up and all, but he's crazy, so I'm scared for Lisa. Not for Lad at all. In the next scene, Firo's talking with Huey. Firo says that he'll go along with Huey's plan on having access to like Zillard's memories on one condition. Huey has to ensure that this transaction between them is done with the entirety of the Martillo family. Firo has taken an oath to the family, and he takes it very seriously and any transaction has to be done through them. Fira also is not interested in how Huey is sending out information, and as Fira is about to refer to the guard, he finds him on the floor, unconscious, and someone unexpected walks in. Huey's like, is this Felix Walken? And this guy says, I sold that name to somebody a long time ago. Now I'm nameless. So I was thinking, how could Phyllis Walken be here? He was just with China and Claire. Like, there's no way Felix could be in the dungeon. Did he teleport? Did Lisa, like, pop out of nowhere, grab him, and then bring him in? But then Lisa was just with Lad. But also, why would Lisa not tell Huey? Like, Huey was like, who are you? Like, she's super loyal to Huey, so that doesn't really make sense. I couldn't figure out what was going on at all, and I was definitely scratching my head. It was It was really confusing, but, you know, the next scene is huge. And my question was answered immediately. Like, so I loved this reveal. So Spike is trying to run from Claire and Claire goes on the attack. The former Felix kind of grabs Claire's leg and Claire comments on how like strong and good he is. The former Felix asks Claire who he inherited the Felix Walker name from, which is odd at that time because I was like, didn't he get it from you? Now Claire says that it was from a woman who was about 30. So this was massive. So at this point, it became clear that there was more than one, like, Felix Walken. And that this name had been, like, transferred around between people over and over and over again. So this was huge. And I was thinking, like, who else was this person? Like, this Felix Walken name? Like, who else took this name? Um, now, China and Claire stopped chasing after Spike. And their former Felix, um, because China is, like, worried about Jacuzzi. Now, we get another bombshell that the former Felix sold his name not to just one person but to three, an Asian man, a black man, and a white man. So this was incredible. So all of those inmates that came with Firo at that time were all Felix Walkens. So I'm guessing that this means that they were also, like, hired by Nebula, maybe? Like, just like the current, like, the current former of Felix. Um, so anyway, this was crazy. This blew my mind. Like, I loved this reveal. It just, like, recontextualizes everything. So it's not just one of the inmates that was sus. They were all sus. Like this reveal really threw me for a loop. And it was set up like so well as well. Like hats off to the author. Because it definitely just threw me for a loop. I loved it. Um, And I do wonder when Claire talks about Felix Walken being the second strongest. If he's talking about just the former Felix. So the guy who was just fighting. That we saw him interacting with. Or if he's talking about all of them kind of put together. Either way. Awesome scene, like so good. Um, like I audibly gasped, like no way when I was reading this. It was just so good. So we immediately jumped to Firo and the person who entered Huey's prison wasn't just one person, it was three. It was the inmates, the Asian man, the black man, and the white man. And they were hired by Nebula, and we find out that Felix Walken was a symbol for hired killers. But the trio here were the ones who kind of created the name of Handyman in New York. So this means that Felix Walken and how the name got passed around is going to have like quite a history. Like, how many centuries has it travelled? Am I thinking too far, or is it just within the century? I don't know. Um. Anyway, Fira is confused by all of this and is very much just kind of like stepping to the side. The trio goes to attack Huey, who says he's no good at fighting. But then we hear, "Tack, tack, tack," and then slowly the metallic door in the dungeon, which is hard as hell, is busted open by Lad everyone's frozen right and we hear this familiar voice and he's holding Lisa on the kind of on the floor with chains now Huey looks on at Lisa and he murmurs like Lisa or no kind of thing but I still honestly don't know how much he actually cares Uh, but either way we get like this incredible like really good splash page of Vlad looking like like a freaking monster with Lisa chained to the ground I mean we knew Lisa wouldn't be able to beat Vlad That being said, like, wow, like, does lad just look like a demon in that image? Like, it's so well-drawn, and, like, it just really takes you in. I do wonder with these, like, light novels, when the author is, like, writing it, if he's also thinking about where he wants to insert the splash pages. Like, without the image, this lad scene wouldn't hit as hard. So I do wonder if Narita actually writes thinking about where he wants the artist to put the image in. And I'm not talking about Narita, like, finishing his book and then asking the artist to illustrate certain scenes. I'm talking about him writing the story and as he is writing he's thinking I don't need to write that much more for this scene because I plan to use an image here to illustrate it like that kind of thing. Now the next scene is brutal. Um so Lisa is full of confidence and boasting to Lad about he can't how we can't move because of the chain. Lad states something interesting about Graham that he's stronger than Lad. So I mean that's pretty big, right? Lad's plenty strong. But not just that that he doesn't kill so, I can see how Jacuzzi and the gang became like tight with a guy like this, despite having like a small feud with the rest of the Russo family back on the Flying Pussyfoot. Like, Jacuzzi would get along with a guy who doesn't want to kill. Now, Lad says though that he can't kill, he likes to. To Lisa's surprise, the chain is not actually attached to his leg, and he's been kind of free the entire time. And the chain comes down on her, knocking her unconscious. So, damn, like a chain to the face, like a metal whack like right down the face like all your flesh would come off anyway lad sounds freaking like brutal in this scene and lisa had the utmost confidence that she wouldn't die so it's the perfect person for lad to take out and to teach the lesson he wants to teach to other people which is that you shouldn't be that confident um now knowing lisa was mostly a kid and at least had the appearance of one it really does show how brutal lad can be and it's a good scene um i do wonder if lisa is dead I don't think so because I feel like this author doesn't really want to kill characters off. Like the more characters he has, the better like for his story because he likes playing with like a basket of characters. Like the only one he's actually killed off is Goose. Um anyway, this was a good scene. But yeah, on to the next one. So we're back in real time and Lad's obviously wanting to go after Huey. He's talking about how people like most people, have switches that flip that allows them to kill. Once that switch is flipped, Um, anybody can end a life and basically hundreds of switches in lad's brain has been flipped and now he needed to use the killing intent on someone he actually destroys one of the guards and shoots him in the ear but he's not going to kill him because he's not going to waste all the flipped switches this pent-up energy on some dumb guard he's going to use it in a way that satiates him the most that brings out the most from his desire so it would be to kill huey now Gig, one of the Felixes, goes to attack him. And um we hear from Fero that Gig is moving at a speed that was way faster than he was at the dining hall, where he ends up getting like offended by the white man and gets taken out. Um so it's clear that Gig didn't show off all of his skills. Um I think this makes sense. He was undercover after all. That being said, despite letting go of his limiters and showcasing his full strength, that meant nothing to lad. He who proceeds to like crush his face with an uppercut. Like, Dragon tries to bite him um, on his fist, and being a cannibal and all that, and that just punches him to the ground, and then uses him to crush the other guy too. So he destroys all of the four Felixes. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure none of them are dead though, because why would you waste up all this energy, all these flipped um, switches, on just some Felixes? They aren't worth his time. He's itching to kill Huey. That's the only way to actually satiate his desire. Not only that, um, Lad goes on like a monologue about how, in books and series, people tend to go on monologues and talk too much in fights. He hates that, and despite him being exactly that type of person, um, he still hates it. But I can totally see how that would get on Lad's nerves. When his switch is turned on, he's the only one in the spotlight. It's all about him and his whims. So only he gets to talk, and the victims of his wrath are just merely that, just victims. Like, they're all just kind of part of this, you know, violent orchestra that he's trying to, like, enact on people. So, if someone starts talking too much, it's like, shut up and just let me, you know, kill you, basically. Huey asked lad a really interesting question. I want to outline it all. In Peter Pan, Peter is the symbol of cruel adulthood who ignores concepts of good and evil, and Captain Hook symbolises logical adulthood. What is the ticking crocodile that you said you were? So Ladd says he is unadulterated strength, amoral bloodlust, and unstoppable hunger. So disaster in other words. So like Ladd talks about how he doesn't think about good and evil at all. He just acts at the behest of his appetite to kill. That good and evil can be decided by the victim. Now he so like he has no say in that idea. He's just a beast following the scent that allows him to like indulge the most. After explaining that, Huey comments that Ladd is quite eloquent. And personally, I thought so too. Like, I think this is all though, very in line with Ladd's character. He's not dumb. In fact, he can be very calculating and poetic too. But he chooses to be a beast. He prefers to be in a state of being a beast. He likes to throw away his calculating side. That's why he didn't stay the good prisoner to get out of jail. Like, his murderous impulse awakened when he heard about Alcatraz. And then he ensured he ended up in a prison that was way worse so he could kill Huey. Even when Lad's talking about people, like, um, t- they, like, they shouldn't be talking when he's like, switch is flipped, it's so that his impulse to kill can be allowed to express itself, like, perfectly, in the way he wants it to. If he was being more calculating, then why wouldn't he let the other Felixes help him? His goal is to kill Huey, after all, but no, like, that's not it, it's much more, like, primal for him. He works at the behest of that switch that turns him on, and that's all that there is to it, like, it's a state change. Lad has two states, a calculating one and one where he's a ravenous beast. Huey tries to divert Lad's attention away from revealing um, to Lad that Fira is an immortal as well, who by you know all intent should be someone that Lad would enjoy to kill. And Fira shows that he's immortal, but Lad senses that Fira is scared of dying. In fact, Fira is wary of Huey the entire time, which stops him from being a target. Like Fira's scared, so Lad doesn't really care. But what this does showcase to Lad very quickly, that there is a way to kill immortals. So once again, I want to reiterate that when Lad is in his like ravenous beast state, he's still thinking. It's not that there's like a lack of thinking. He can articulate himself very well and still make like thoughtful deductions. It's more so that like the general movement in his actions, like there's a push towards his base desires. So he's still using his brain. It's not like a state where his head goes empty or anything like that. Just that the base desire is at the top. Like, the desire to indulge in violence is king. The thinking just helps him get to that. Last part in this scene is a conversation between Firo and Huey. Firo states to Huey that he doesn't care as long as he doesn't become someone who would do something bad to Ennis and his friends. He doesn't care who he ends up becoming as 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 long as the world around him is peaceful. As long as Ennis and his friends are at peace. Even if he's just a dream somebody near him is seeing it's fine. Now this is interesting and I'm not 100% sure what he means by this like the idea of just being a dream um, but yeah I've, like we'll get into that. So a dream is something that isn't real like it's ethereal and it's like fictional so if you're like a dream someone is seeing then that would mean that they aren't fully seeing you but I don't think he's talking about like people not literally like seeing him with his own, with their own two eyes i think he's talking about people not seeing the real him so even if the people around him don't see the actual him deep down it's okay as long as the world around him is peaceful as long as ennis and the others are fine so not even the need so he doesn't have the need for people to see the real him um he also says that he used to argue with claire about this idea Claire believes deep down to be the centre of the universe, so to not care about yourself as a person would be a belief that goes like completely opposite to how Claire thinks. Claire believes that he is the one true important person, but Firo thinks the opposite. He's actually not all that interested in himself, but he cares about those around him and ensuring that they're at peace, that they're, at, that they're okay. I don't think Firo, at least at this point, cares about being seen kind of properly, like as a complete person. Um that's what I got out of these lines. But I'm not sure I'm not too sure, but like this is what I got. Now either way, this scene was fantastic. So Lad was a menace and also his character was explored more, which I really liked. I think we understand Lad just a bit more. Like there was more emphasis on the Switch that he works on, which I thought was really, really good. Like, I loved all the Lad stuff, and Lad's just always super intimidating. Um, like, he's such a monster, and he has such a big presence that it really adds to the scene. Um, Furo was also, like, really interesting, as mentioned before. Um, and seeing Huey not even frightened was interesting. I mean, it's very in line with his character. Personally, I was scared for him that Lad was there the entire time. But seeing that Huey doesn't seem to be afraid at all, um, yeah, Lad was right. He really doesn't think he's not gonna die. So maybe he doesn't care, you know? Um, But yeah, this scene was really, really good, really intense. Lad kept amping up the terror, um, which made me feel like I was on the edge of my seat. So that was really good. Now we jump over to the police station and let me tell you, we are in for a reveal. So Victor's for like for the most part, he's admitting defeat at Huey and thinking that Firo either got eaten or joined Huey's side. Edward, the person Firo's had like a bunch of run ins with, is saying that he shouldn't be like so sure about that. Surprisingly, or perhaps unsurprisingly, Edward says that we shouldn't think too little about Firo. After all, he didn't move in like the underworld just by sheer dumb luck. Edward's not saying that Victor should hope for something positive from Firo or anything like that. It's just that like he shouldn't ignore Firo because at the end of the day, Firo is a gangster and a villain. So back to the room with Firo, Huey and Lad. Fira actually hits Huey with something that makes him fall and unable to move. He felt pain kind of within his spine. And Fira says with a cold voice, You said the Felix who'd come after you was a group of four, yes? Well, there were actually five of them. So, Fira is a Felix. He took on the name. So, like, when did this happen? Uh, we get this, like, amazing, like, page of, like, Huey falling down. And um, Firo is just looking cold. Like, I didn't expect this at all like this was such a crazy reveal and not just that like how did that come to be like I feel like we aren't being given like the full story like at what point um was Firo a Felix and not only that the other group of four didn't seem to know that he had that name also I don't think Firo knew those other four either so he must have got that name from someone like was he work and is he working with Nebula now like what changed what happened like and when are we going to know this (laughs) So we hear that Fira is about to put his right hand onto Huey's head, and Huey's thinking, kind of delightedly, that he was so sure that there would be no surprises, that there wouldn't be anything out of the norm, that he had it all planned out, but Elma, it's just as you said, this is what makes things interesting. With this line, we end the scene thinking Fira may have eaten Huey, but we see this is not the case. So Lisa is alive, and she awakens and realises that she's been out for like an hour and 27 minutes. I wonder her being able to like gauge how long her body was out for with like perfect accuracy is like an indication towards like the power she actually has that she can like quickly figure out when her body has been unconscious. If she does have like a certain hive mind capability, I do wonder if her other copies also became unconscious when Lad attacked her. Like, maybe this Lisa is the main body, and then if it stops, um, like, functioning, the rest do as well. So she can kind of be like, oh, yeah, the bodies were all off for, like, this amount of time. Or maybe there isn't a hive mind at all, and it's just her disappearing and reappearing into different locations. Or, like, maybe it's like, um, like in the darkness, she has, like, eyes that can see many things. So it's not like she copies herself at places, it's just she can jump between locations based on having something at a certain location or something like that like maybe I don't know like um like she gives something to Huey to kind of carry around and as long as that piece is with him she can kind of appear but she can only appear in like darker areas you know where there's shadow like she can't appear where there's light or something like that um you know uh, I don't know to be honest. (laughs) Either way, she sees Huey with a knife in his neck and his spinal cord looked to be completely destroyed. But he was alive. I'm guessing the knife to his neck and the destroyed spinal cord was Lad's doing. Lad did have to like satiate his bloodlust somehow, so he stabbed him and destroyed his spine. That being said, stabbing someone doesn't really feel like Lad's style. Did he actually satiate himself? Did he actually find an opportunity um, to put all his energy into hurting Huey? I mean, if Huey, like, fell unconscious after Firo attacked him, is that worthwhile? I don't think so, right? Like, I think something went down between Lad and Firo after Firo made Huey unconscious, and I don't think Lad would be happy with Firo for taking away his prey's consciousness. Now, Huey gets up and he checks himself and sees that he's okay. He doesn't really feel much of a difference, though he does find it odd that his left eye wouldn't open. And then When he tries to open it, like, well, Lisa opens it and finds a gaping hole. This was the Felix Walken mission, to get Huey's left eye. So clearly, the Felix mission has been fulfilled. Knowing that Fero is going with that Monica as well now, Fero must have taken his left eye. Also, with Huey being an immortal, how else can someone, um, like, take an immortal's eye without the other person being an immortal too? Like, if you rip away his eye, it's just gonna, like, you know, like, try to get back to him, right? Maybe, like, Fira, like, sifted through Zillard's memories and found a way to steal his eyeball or steal parts of, like, an immortal without it regenerating. Oh, actually, maybe his, um, like, his eyeball was just stolen and then encased in something. Yeah, like, the, the eyeball is trying to come back to Huey because it's his, but it can't because it's been separated from his body and then encased in something. That's probably it. Um, And either way, like, Huey doesn't, like, think too much of it and continues to, like, smile and... Um, captures his daughter's anguish into his mind um, and thinks he's a terrible person for doing so um, and then just decides to like resume his experiment it was mentioned by Victor that if something happens that wasn't within Huey's plans then he'll just adapt so it doesn't matter that he lost his eye or anything like that he'll just adapt, he'll just keep going there's no point where the experiment begins or ends the experiment is constant and alive anyway, uh, that's basically the end of the novel So just as like the epilogue section, we then jump back to Sham, who was the one who's like telling the tale. He also says that once he hears about what happens to Chicago, he'll tell us more about what happened after that. So I'm guessing volume 9 will be Chicago, and then volume 10 will be the after that. I also liked how this scene like laid out the mysteries we should be paying attention to. Like, who is Graham Spector? How did Lad's chains come off? How did Firo gouge out Huey's eyes? What happened to Fira and Lad after that? How's um Huey contacting Firo? Like these are all good questions, and the one I didn't think of was how Lad got his chains off. I kind of just accepted it, but yeah, that makes sense. Like we need to know how he got it off. like Lad can't just break his chains. Something must have happened. We also get a little like tidbit into Sham's character, how he's similar to Huey in the sense that he's interested in the um like the information that people can provide. Just like how Huey is interested in, like, the meanings and the truths of other people, Sham's also interested, um, or satiated, by, like, um, knowing as much information as possible. It also talks about, like, the mystery of the twins and the destiny of the twins. So these twins, are just really interesting characters that I just want to learn more about. Now, the next scene, um, we jump over to Isaac, who's, like, finishing his, like, sentence at Alcatraz. He's talking to Misery, and he promises to do good in the world. I'm glad we get to see Misery again, um, I thought he was actually a pretty cool character, even though we didn't really see much of him. Isaac thinks so too, and what's hilarious is that Misery was actually giving Isaac some wages for his prison labour. So, I thought that Isaac was just being silly, saying that the pay wasn't great for the labour he was doing, but he was actually at work, like he was getting wages. Um, so that was actually happening, so I just thought that was like, hilarious. We also get kind of like a heartfelt moment where Isaac is looking on at Alcatraz with like light beaming through the infrastructure and he makes Isaac remember his past and that he's seen Alcatraz multiple times. Is he saying that he's arrived at Alcatraz a bunch of times? Because I feel like that would be really weird um, for him to have gone to prison over and over again. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is that he's viewed the island like many times when he was young from like far away. Anyway, um, like, seeing that he's free now, that just made him want to see Miriam more. The money he got from his prison time was pretty awful, so he couldn't even, like, find a way back home. Interestingly, though, he, um, he thought about going back to his family because they were close. So this would also tie into the idea that he's seen Alcatraz from a distance, like, multiple times, because he lives close. Um, but then he immediately dismisses them thinking of Miriam. Also, he says that if they find him, like, if his family finds him, they may kill him. So Isaac's backstory, which is what this is referring to, I feel like has been getting, like, considerable, like, build-up since the sixth novel. So I'm really interested to hearing about his family, his past, and then where, or, like, how him and Miria met, or if Miria was the cause for him to kind of, like, get out. Like, how did all of this come down? So Isaac contacts the and which forwards him onto like, Millionaire's Row, and finally Miria. So, you know, they're, like, talking, and you feel some, like, awkwardness between them, but, you know, Isaac, he doesn't really think much, but he just blurts out, "'I'm sorry, the wallet was in my pocket.'" So if you guys remember, he basically asks Miria to go get his wallet, and then he gets taken away by the cop. Um, and Miria says, "'It's okay, I'm not mad or anything.'" Now, I feel like this isn't a situation where Isaac didn't realize the wallet was just in his pocket the entire time. Like, I remember in that initial scene where Isaac reveals that he knows that the guy is a cop, it feels like he, like, intentionally saved Miria. At least that's how I'm interpreting it. Um, I don't see why Isaac would act like that or how the scene would kind of go like that if Isaac didn't have the intention to kind of save her. Anyways, Isaac says he'll see her soon in Chicago, and the novel ends, and we get this like cute and heartfelt image of the two just smiling at each other, and they're like on the phone. Um, Yeah, love the way this novel ended.